Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Travis Bray was born with some serious odds against him. Like his father and grandfather before him, he was born with familial adamonitis polyposis, otherwise known as FAP or FAP. Left untreated, people with FAP are most likely to die of colon cancer before the age of 40. When he and his wife Shawnee realized that there were few, if any, resources available for people like himself with hereditary colon cancer syndromes, they founded the Hereditary Colon Cancer Foundation. Their website, hcctakesguts.org, offers support, guidance, and information and education for people dealing with a number of hereditary colon cancer type issues. Join me for my conversation with Travis Bray. Travis, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Well, it's my pleasure, Lee. You know, uh, you are the first guest that I have on the show that is not a colon cancer survivor. And as a matter of fact, I remember when I initially reached out to you, that's what you said back to me. You said, well, wait a minute, I'm not a colon cancer survivor. But you are dealing with a much different challenge, FAP. Uh, for those that don't know what that is, uh, tell, tell us what FAP is. FAP uh, stands for familial adenomatous polyposis. It's a disease that, if you translate it into Greek or Latin, the name describes itself. So familial means genetic, inherit, genetically inherited. Adenomatous basically means cancer-causing. Polyposis just means the, the growth of, of polyps. And in the case of people that have FAP, you're talking on the orders of thousands of polyps for some of these patients. Um, and the, the lion's share, the, 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 the big hit for FAP is in the colon. Um, it were, there is a 100% chance of uh, colorectal cancer for people to have FAP if they uh, live their life without treatment. Um, the average age of onset for uh, cancer is about 36, and the terminal age of FAP is uh, very close to that. In fact, that's how my grandfather died at the age of 36, was with stage 4 colon cancer. But the way you work around it is you have your colon removed. Uh, you you receive a bowel diversion of some sort, in my case, a J-pouch. And, you know, with good treatment, good care, uh, preventative measures, you can live a very healthy, average life. Now, you were fortunate in the fact that you knew you had a family history. I talked to many people that don't find out that there's a family history of colon cancer or whatever it may be until after they get diagnosed with the disease. But you, and if, for lack of a better word, in air quotes, were fortunate to know that you had a family history. But when did you officially find out, tell me the story kind of behind it, that you indeed did have it? All right. Um, so my pedigree starts with my grandfather. Briefly, my, uh, my grandfather, when he was 36, after dealing with all the prototypical symptoms of uh, advanced cancer, the bleeding, the, the stomach pain, the constipation, everything that goes along with it, went to a GI. The doctor, you know, took a look, uh, what I call the butcher's look, said, well, I mean, you have stage four colon cancer. It's terminal. You have six months to live. And three of your six kids probably have it. They've 
all the kids were, 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 were that were of age were, were, were checked and my father had it. My story's a little funny. So my mom didn't actually find out that FAP ran in my family until after I was like literally right after I was conceived, like I was conceived. And then my dad said, I actually waited until afterwards to tell my mom, uh, by the way, I have FAP. I might die when I'm 36. I should probably go to the doctor right now. And so there's my mom pregnant, uh, just finding out about this disease. And so she was, you can imagine, very vigilant. She was, uh, she was an OR tech at the time and, uh, learned as much as she could about FAP. And this was back in 77. So they knew a fair bit, at least about the effects on the colon. And she just really became vigilant. And she says that she saw blood in my diapers. Wow. Um, I clearly don't remember that part, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what she said. So she said that she knew from the time I was an infant that I had FAP. Um, so there were, you know, years, you know, a, a decade of them uh, knowing what, what, what was coming down the, the pipeline for me. And somewhere, I don't know, maybe 11 or 12 ish, 12, 13, um, that was when, when I started having colonoscopies uh, and they did, they did colonoscopies as long as they could until the polyposis was so advanced that they were afraid that the polyps would start, would start showing dysplasia and becoming cancerous. And they scheduled my, a two-step colectomy between my junior, no, between my sophomore and junior year of high school. So I literally got out of school, went down. I, I, I think you're down in, I saw, I saw a phone number from uh, Tampa Bay. Correct. Or, uh, from, yeah. So we actually wasn't too, we weren't too far from you. We were at the Cleveland Clinic in uh, Western Florida. Um, for my surgery, uh, we were living in Georgia at the time. Right after school, I went down there, had my first surgery, which was a colectomy and the creation of what's called a J pouch. Uh, I had a temporary ileostomy for a couple of months while the pouch healed. And then I went down just before school started, uh, in, in mid August of, uh, I guess that was 93. Um, for the second part where they closed off the ileostomy, opened up my J pouch, and then uh, sent me on my merry, my merry way. And what, what impact did this have on you growing up in your teenage years? Well, yeah, um, I was six foot two, 160, 165 pounds at the end of my sophomore year of high school. Um, so you're talking about right in the like literally right in the middle of the most awkward phase of my existence, you know, it was like tall, gangly, skinny kid. And when I went back to school, I was six foot four. I had a two inch growth spurt during this period and I was 110 pounds. So, um, you know, I, I can't imagine high school being any different now than it was back then, but it wasn't exactly the, the nicest place to a person who, you know, came in looking emaciated and, uh, it was, there was a lot of, you know, uh, during that time, it was, it was really hard to not be conspicuous. Um, but it was, there were, there were kind of cool parts about it. I mean, you know, kids are cruel and you, you have like, I had issues using the bathroom for a while. So I got like special treatment in high school. I could go use the bathroom in the teacher's lounge so I could be away from the other kids and not be made fun of. But I had this group of kid friends who, like really took out took care of me in a way and like looked after me. So there are these guy people that, you know, I had a friend of mine, Ezra, and he wouldn't let anyone make fun of me. Like he was this massive, massive kid. And he was, he was like my, you know, 
bodyguard. He was he was like my 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 he was my crutch. Like no one could make fun of me as long as Ezra was around. You know, no one could pick on me while Ezra was around. He spent countless days. We were playing video games and doing sleepovers, and he was like, I mean, he was he was my teddy bear for the whole time, just getting me through this ordeal. Um, it leading the leading up to it was. I started kind of getting sick, and so there was a couple of years where I was kind of a sickly kid, which which uh, sucked. I was used to being very active, and it took a while to get back to that. Um, it took a while uh, living in the South with a family full of construction workers and working in construction myself. Not having a colon means dealing with dehydration, and it can it can be sudden and it can be severe. Uh, so there was a lot of like. At a point where the body goes through so many changes, I lost an organ and had to like relearn, you know, my, how my body was going to function. And I was having to do it at a, at, a, at a turbulent time of, you know, your mid-teens. In your YouTube video, you describe part of your growing up experience as hardcore. Well, my family. My family's, my family's hardcore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you're referring... There's so many. That was the story of uh, when I heard when I heard colonoscopy without uh, being put under. Uh, I wanted to go under just hearing that. <laughs> it's really strange, man. They, they they used to do on the the back. You know, I actually had a colonoscopy, or I guess it was. I mean, they still use the flex sigmoidoscope. So it's, you know, I mean, it's basically a colonoscopy when they look at my J pouch. I had a I was scoped once by a doctor in Atlanta who gave me Valium. Before they started my IV, and like ten years before, they gave me a handful of KY jelly, and that was it. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm serious. That's what it was. It was like, I was like, what happened in the last ten years? I was a kid, and I was like stone cold sober. Now you're giving me something to sedate myself before you sedate me. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. the, the I, I made a reference to there was a period of time around my surgery where my 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 white blood cells just went through skyrocketed. Um, and they thought I had leukemia. Um, and that was actually the first of a couple of twice that's actually happened in my life where my white blood cells got crazy. And the doctors did a, a bone marrow test, which is a needle in the tailbone. And I was as sober as I am right now. And I was like, 14? Goodness. I know. I mean, it sounds barbaric what they would do without sedation back then, you know? Mm. You talk very highly, as a matter of fact, I, I think I would go so far as to say life-changing when you and Dr. Randall Burt cross paths. Tell me about that. <laughs> uh, that, was, uh, that was an amazing day. So we were about a year into running the foundation. We had just started the foundation. Uh, we had a great board of directors, and, um, but they were all made up of our friends, which really no one, no one on our board at the time had any skin in the game. No one were came from the cancer community, uh, the health. I mean, we had one person uh, that dealt with health, health informatics, but we really needed some people, some, some medical professionals, some patient advocates. We needed people that, that, knew, that, that knew this landscape better. And so I had come out on, uh, Sean and I were in Salt Lake City um, for a, uh, I was actually here for business and then she came out and joined me. And we had been in contact with Dead Necklison at the University of Utah regarding uh, trying to bring, you know, bring her on our board or maybe people from her uh, group. And she set up 
you know, a, a meeting with everyone there except Randy Burke. And I was like, ah, really hoping to meet Randy Burke. I mean, I love, I love the whole crew at the Huntsman Cancer, but I was really hoping to meet Randy. Turned out we had a meeting the next day with Randy. So there I am sitting on the top floor of Randy's office, which overlooks Salt Lake City and the Salt Lake City Valley. And it's just this spectacular uh, vista. And my only goal, besides talking to him, I mean, talking to the guy who discovered the genetic link to FAP and, you know, the godfather of FAP, was to ask him to come on our board. That was what I was supposed to do. And so I'm sitting there, and Sean's across from me, and, and, and Randy's sitting next to me, and he drops his bomb on me. He, he I, I made this flippant re- remark that uh, I'd die sometime in my 50s. And to me, that was... That was just a likelihood. Like, uh, I, I never, I don't have, I, I don't have a retirement account because I didn't really think I'd live to the age of retirement. I haven't lived my life making decisions based on what it's going to be like when I'm 80. I, you know, figure I'm going to be dead by the time I'm, you know, mid 50. So, you know, let's just rock it out until then. And so I tell him this, and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" He goes, "We have plenty of patients in our registry that are living well into their 80s with proper care and treatment and screening." You can have a very long life and a very good life. And then all of a sudden, in, a, in this little package with a nice little bow, he gave me like 25 more years. And I was speechless. I couldn't, I, I was floored. Like, I mean, you're, you're talking about changing someone's worldview. Like, and, and he did it with, if you, any of the speakers out there or any of the, the listeners who's ever met Randy knows. He, he really, you, as soon as you meet Randy, you feel like you're talking to your grandfather. He just, he treats everyone with this, indiv- like this individual, like everyone, there's, every interaction is, is dear to him. He, he's an amazing person. And so it's kind of like having my grandfather tell me that I can live until I'm 80. It was just, it, it floored me. And then Sean, like, was like trying to like egg me on, like, are you going to make the ask? Are you going to make the ask? And I couldn't even speak. So Sean was actually the one that asked Randy to come on our board because I was, I was stunned. I felt like I just took a shot from Buster Douglas. <laughs> and his response to the question was, "Yes, yes, fantastic." He, he uh, Randy, and two of his team members, uh, Corey Jasperson and Doug Michelson, all three came on our board, and it's been just the, the the number of doors that he's opened for the Hereditary Colon Cancer Foundation since. Just being present and the insight and wisdom that he's given us has uh, has, has had an, an amazing effect. Well, before I kind of rewind a little and get to the impetus for starting the foundation, you you did mention your wife Shawnee, and I mm-hmm. wanted to ask you uh, how has your life changed since she's become a part of it? <laughs> um, ah, she's my. She's my my partner in crime. Um, it's it. I mean, it's not it's not sound hokey. It's it's honestly be, being with Sean is like I don't know if you've ever. I feel like James Garner in the Notebook. Like it's just that hokey of a of a relationship, and and, and she's just that amazing of a person. She she has rewired her existence, trying to learn more about what's going to keep me alive. She. She's invested so much into uh, her nutrition training and, and, and looking for ways to prevent polyps from continuing to grow, making polyps to go go away. We actually, we actually, she actually headed up a pilot study with like five or six patients 
looking at the effects of, uh, of of nutrition on quality of life. She's, I mean, she she would much rather be doing other stuff and be making a lot more money. I promise. Uh, running if she if she was like use, utilizing her uh, her her degrees, and instead she's been you know plugging away for the last three years with me starting this foundation. But she it it she's she provides a tremendous amount of support and security for me, and it's, 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 she's really great. Um, I can't you kind of stunned me with that question. I think. <laughs> Well, I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to say I can, I, I can relate as well, so I, I'm, I'm equally as blessed. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it from you. <laughs> uh, tell me about the start of the foundation. What was the impetus to uh, get it started? And, and maybe you need to rewind a little further and kind of give your background, your educational background. I imagine that may have factored in some way into that as well. It did. Um, actually, mine and Sean's both both uh, factored in. When, um, just briefly, when we met, we were living in in the Bay Area, um, and she was uh, teaching at a school in Richmond, uh, Richmond, California, and I was doing research at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. She um, she has a long background in education, and then before that, she was in marketing. Uh, and sales, working with Reuters and, and Dow Jones. My background, uh, I have a bachelor's and a PhD in chemistry. Um, and so I got my PhD from uh, Auburn University. I want to throw in a war eagle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I was, uh, I was a postdoc uh, at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. And on my, my background in chemistry, it really kind of speaks to the to the mentality that I had that I have grown up with FAP. Like I didn't, I didn't ever have these lofty designs of being a professor and pontificating at some university. I got into chemistry. I got my PhD because I I uh, was advised to go hear this guy speak at my alma mater, uh, Valdosta State, and my I had three takeaways from the guy's forty five minute presentation. He uh, he had more money than the Pope. Uh, he had plutonium and I could get a PhD in four years. And at that time I was just a construction worker or I was not actually, I was uh, just, I had taught one year of high school and was done with that. And the prospects of a PhD in plutonium just was too much for me to turn down. So I just dove in. So that's my education background. The impetus to start the foundation if if that's where you want me to roll into, yeah, please. Um, we Shani and I had Shani and I had just been married for about a month or so. Uh, this was coming up on four years ago. Uh, we had just got married, um, and, and and she was accustomed to me being able to, uh, you know, go on ten mile runs, and I played soccer, and I used to I. I bicycle back and forth to work 10 or 12 miles and just you know that kind of activity was with a grain of salt for me it was pretty easy suddenly i got to the point where i couldn't do it anymore i would become really uh i would lose my breath um i started just getting sicker and sicker and we uh went to the doctor it turned out my 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 uh 
my hemoglobin count was was almost at a was at a critical level where they were worried about me having a heart attack and my B12 levels were low and they had me come in for a transfusion uh and this was actually on Thanksgiving uh, I had to go in for a blood transfusion because of how sick I had become um I had noticed some blood previously but I didn't realize how bad it was that experience just being in the hospital getting a blood transfusion on Thanksgiving was the prelude to about three or four really, really hard months, especially that December, um, where it was just a series of, 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 of tests after test and, and each test becoming more and more invasive and them not knowing what was going on. And to frame the time period, I was at, I was about the same age as my grandfather when he died and it was a year after my dad had died. And so here I am, I'm really sick, I'm bleeding, they can't figure out what's going on, I'm just married to Sean. And everything, it was, it was an extremely, extremely scary, uh, time for us. Um, on, <laughs> and, and just from Sean's perspective, one of our, on our first date, I told her about FAP and that the, my likelihood of dying in my fifties and that I could have cancer in five years, I don't know, that I live life hard and fast and it's going to be fun. And uh, I hope she's up for it. And so, so she had been living with that in the back of her head. We had just got married, and now here I am, thinking that I'm about to get cancer and die. And so, uh, I had decided that before I died, I wanted to ride my bike around Lake Michigan, which I never ever actually did. Um, and I was going to raise money for FAP research. You know, ninety-nine percent of nonprofits are for are for research and awareness. So I was going to do research and awareness. I started looking up nonprofits and I realized there were no nonprofits for FAP. Like there was nothing out there. Um, and the more I looked and the more frustrated I got, the, I, I went through the period where they figured out what the problem was and I actually started healing myself. And during this period of time, I started, you know, I spent a fair bit of time on Facebook for the first time ever looking up FAP. And actually was more scared of my disease um, after looking at FAP than I was before. Um, started realizing how hard it was to connect with people and, you know, in person with FAP. And I, and, and one of the, and one of the things that really hit me was that all of the resources for patients were written by medical professionals at hospitals or universities and written at a college or high, or, or, or high school level. And so, you know, I, Sean and I just literally kind of formulated the idea that, you know, that, that, that this community is not supported, that I have a new leash on life, a new lease on life, and that we have the ability to change this community. And so we drew upon her background um, in education and marketing and business development and my knowledge of the, what, you know, what, what the patient experience is like, both from my family and from seeing what's, what's happening online. And came up with a, uh, a plan to support this community through education initiatives, um, both for professionals and for the patients through networking opportunities and eventually through, uh, actual direct to patient funding where we can send out small stipends very similar to the CCA Blue Note Fund to help offset some of the, uh, financial hardships that, that come along with a chronic disease. I see. For those, um, Oh, before I get to that question, you said, and you mentioned this also in the video, which I will share on our website, uh, 
but you mentioned about living life hard and fast as much yeah. as much of that as you choose to share <laughs> what does that mean um i know what i have a vision of what life is like and i'm i i relentlessly pursue it um i don't there are people that spend 35 years in a steel mine grinding it out every day waiting you know with that carrot at the end of their life waiting for retirement to come so they can get their rv and go travel around the, around the country and that's that I mean that's awesome but that's when when you when you when there is no 55 and, and on in your future then that carrot doesn't exist for you and you and you get to play but with a with you know a stack maybe it's a stacked deck in one way or the other i don't know but you know uh i literally will not allow myself to be in a position or a situation that i'm not happy for an extended period of time uh I, and, and that's just how that's just how i live you know i i won't be with like before i met sean i wouldn't be with anyone for any length of time if if if, if it wasn't easy if it wasn't you know if it was if there was a progress if it was there, there's also a certain element of my childhood that you know seeing my mom you know deal with men who weren't very nice and and, and the arguments that would ensue I would not allow myself to be in the same situation. I don't want to, you know, be in any, I never felt like I was forced to be, to, to remain, I guess. Uh, my first girlfriend, I, I mentioned this in the video, her name was Brooke Blanton. Um, I remember standing outside of the, of the lunchroom. Um, we had been dating for like eight months. She was my first girlfriend. And I literally told her, and we had been fighting and it was miserable and I hated it. It was horrible. She was a nice person to begin with, but something happened between the two of us and it was terrible. And so right after lunch, I was like, yeah, uh, this isn't working. You have, we, we have like, you have like 50 years to find the person you want to fight with. I don't. And I'm pretty sure it's not you. So it's been fun. I appreciate everything, but I'm going to go this way. Uh, I, I think we're over. And that was just, uh, it kind of sounds, I don't know, maybe childish or immature, but I mean, I, I've never had this like long, this long life plan of what I was going to do. It was just, you know, well, that sounds fun for right now. And at the point where it doesn't sound fun, I'll do something else. I was, I mean, hell, that's how, that's how I became, that's how I went back to school to get my PhD. It wasn't by any grand design. It was just, oh, that sounds good. What do you like doing in your spare time? Um, pretty much anything outdoors. Um, we, we, we living in the, living on the, in, in the West, living in Utah before when I was living in Berkeley, I backpack, uh, hike, mountain bike. Um, I'm a, uh, I learned how to snowboard a couple, uh, two seasons ago and living in Park City. I'm, you know, 300 feet from a, a snow resort or from a ski resort. So I probably spent 60 days on the hill. Um, I was a part-time snowboard instructor this uh, this season, just because it was fun teaching little four-year-olds how to snowboard. Uh, <laughs> um, we we travel a lot. We we enjoy traveling. Um, we we been to Costa Rica. You know, just came back from Costa Rica in in, in uh, January, where you know was up there surfing for a week. Uh, so a lot of traveling and a lot of outdoor a lot of outdoor activities. Nice. Travis, I appreciate all the time, but I always ask 
as a final question uh, to the people I have the fortune of speaking to. And it's and it goes something like someone is listening to this interview where they themselves or someone they care deeply about just got word that they're having to face what you've had to face. What message do you have for them? Well, the first two things I always tell people is breathe and relax. Breathe and relax. That's and then the third thing is gonna it's gonna sound a little weird, but there are so many, so many worse syndromes out there than FAP. Um, you know, I, I my heart goes out to people that have multiple sclerosis or or cystic fibrosis or ALS or or uh, you know the people that have Huntington's disease, these non-actionable diseases with that that your your timeline is predestined for you. With FAP, it's not. It's it's you don't have a preordained finale. You go to a specialist, re- receive the quality care that 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 that, 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 they, that they can provide. Be preventative in your treatment, preventative in your screening. Get your family. Uh, we're big advocates of genetic testing. Get your families tested, and 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 just stay on top of it because Lynch syndrome or FAP, Lynch syndrome, Calden's, all these diseases—they're rather—they can be a little Sisyphusian if you if you let them. If you if if you get behind the the eight ball, they 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 gain momentum. They they gain teeth. They become minor diseases. And if you if you stay preventative and you Stay on top of your uh, of, uh, of your treatment and your, your 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 screening. These are manageable conditions, and they're conditions that you can live a long, healthy life. You can live a fun life. You can do everything that you did before. There's, it doesn't slow me down one bit. And you know, I would encourage people to contact us at the at the foundation. If you go on our website, hcctakesguts.org, you look up the contact information, and that's my cell phone number. Give me a call. Like, let's talk about it. It's going to be okay. That's great. And I will post the link to your site on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com as well. Travis, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and share your story. I wish you and Sean and the foundation continued success. And more importantly, I wish you continued good health. Be well, my friend. Uh, You too. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone. <laughs>